Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Good morning. Would you turn to Psalm 141? Psalm 141. So we're going to be all over the board today, but our main text is Genesis chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Enoch's exit, a very intriguing chapter in the Bible. But before we go there, I want to do a little bit of prep about worship. This is Psalm 141. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of the Word of God. If you're physically able to do so, grab your Bible, Psalm 141. This is a psalm of David. It says, O Lord, I call upon thee, listen to me, or hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to thee. Psalm 141, verse 2. May my prayer be counted as incense before thee. The lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Now this is interesting because many of us have seen this verse before, but you may not have put it in the context of worship. It says... Set a guard, Psalm 141, verse 3, O Lord, over my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think what David is saying is, when I worship, Lord, I want my worship to be pleasing. And what I say, and even how I say it, guard my mouth. You know... In the church culture right now, I could preach a whole message on this psalm, but in the church culture, we are pandering to people and making it about consumerism. When we come here, it's about God. It's about his honor. It's about how we can please him. I know we all like the temperature right. I know we all like a comfy seat and hopefully a reasonably close parking space. I know we all have certain expectations about music, choices and styles and levels of sound, but let's be careful that we don't come into this place and become the ultimate critic instead of one who wants to please our Father. It says, do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me. Wow, what a prayer. In kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. David's even saying, if a righteous man needs to come along and correct me, Lord, I'm ready. Because I want to walk in your ways. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when, as when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward thee, O God, the Lord. In thee I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall in, into their own nets while I pass by safely. May the Lord bless the reading of his word as I know he already has and may you seal it in our hearts. You can be seated. Turn to Genesis chapter five, if you would. Hold a place in both Hebrews 11 and the book of Jude if you want to just kind of get a 
head start on where we'll be headed. Genesis 5, Enoch's exit. So last week we were together and we looked at the song of Lamech and we looked at the line of Cain and we saw that it was a pretty wicked line. In fact, it culminated in the song of Lamech. And he sang a song to his two wives. He was a polygamous polygamous man. He was already disobeying God. And he called his wives in and he said, I killed a man for wounding me. And uh, then he even adds a boy, you know, and I, I compared that to the song, I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. All that self-defense stuff. But, he, but there was a glorification of violence in the line of Cain, and we shouldn't be surprised because Cain set the precedent by killing Abel. Instead of looking at his own heart, he killed his brother, and that act of violence was really an act against God because God was not pleased with his sacrifice. Therefore, he became angry, and God said, hey, sin is crouching at the door, Cain. You must master it. But he did not. He let his anger get the best of him. He took it out on his brother. He killed him. And all of a sudden, he was a marked man. Uh, If we got the slides up there, would you guys go to the second slide? Hopefully they can hear my voice. Now, this is what I was telling you about, the, the word oat. I was telling you that it's possible since the word for sign or the mark that was on Cain could have been that actual word. We don't know for sure. And I was trying to explain it to you, but there's nothing like a visual. What you have is you have the Aleph. It looks like an A kind of turned on its side. You have a, a letter, Hebrew letter in the, in the middle, which is the Vav. It looks like a nail. And then you have the Tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which looks in the ancient picture language like a cross. And it literally could be rendered this way. The beginning first letter and the middle letter could be an and. And the end... That points to God. Or it could read this way. The leader, the A turned on its side, is the head or the leader. Nailed, the Vav looks like a nail to the cross. That's the word I was trying to show you or explain to you. I don't know if that's what Cain bore in his head, but he was a marked man. And if that was the mark, it should have been a reminder of him, to him, of God's grace. But Cain's story does not end well. And many people have taken the Cain train. And the Cain train is a defiance against God. I will not walk in faith. I will not trust God. I will do things my way. And so in Genesis 4, we saw the line of Cain, and we saw what happens, and this isn't necessarily the case in every generation, but uh, previous generations do affect future generations, and you can stop that cycle if you've come from major dysfunction or unbelief or atheism or whatever else, but... There's an important aspect I just want to drive home for a second, and it's simply this. As parents and grandparents, we have a responsibility, and this is all over the Old Testament, to pass on the faith to our children and grandchildren. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 6, it is just littered with exhortations to parents and grandparents to surround their lives around the Word of God and pass it on to the next generation. 
Now as we move into chapter 5, we're going to see the line of Seth. Even though there was a dark line in the line of Cain, the line of Seth brings hope, and his name means dedicated, and he replaced um, Abel who had died. And we're going to read a genealogy, and I'm going to quickly highlight names for you, and I would encourage you to write in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible, and I'm going to tell you what the names mean, and we'll move through this quickly. And when we come to the end, I'm going to show you something that shouldn't surprise us, but it is an incredible reality that's right here in Genesis 5. There's a message kind of underneath what we read here, which I'll show you in a moment. Now this, Genesis 5.1, is the book of the generations of Adam. Genesis 5.1, Adam's name means man. You might want to just write that down. Adam means man. In the day when God created man, this is kind of a summary now, he made him in the likeness of God. He created, Genesis 5, to them male and female, and he blessed uh, them and named them man, or mankind, in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, and I don't know why this took so long, I don't know if God closed Eve's uh, womb for a while while they grieved the death of Abel, or if other children were born in the interim that are not mentioned here, but when Adam had lived 130 years, and that's quite a long time, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth, which technically means appointed. Seth equals appointed. So you got Adam, it means man. Seth means appointed. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years. Long lifespans. How do we explain that? It may be that there was a water canopy over the earth protecting mankind from ultraviolet rays. Or it may just be that God decided that he would allow long life in the beginning and then lifespans seem to kind of curtail and go down as time goes on. But notice Adam, the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth, and this is a pattern we're going to see over and over again in this genealogy, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, mark that. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and here's a key phrase, and he died. You're going to see this over and over again in Genesis 5. The reality of the curse comes to fruition. In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, God's grace allowed uh, physical life to be extended, but they spiritually died in the garden. We talked about that in a previous message. And now the reality of death comes. The first man whom God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, now dies. We see Adam's obituary. What a sad moment. What a sad reality that over and over again in the world, here's the testimony, and he died and she died, and he died, and it continues to happen, and worldwide statistics are almost two people dying every second in the world. And about three, my understanding, are born every second. So population continues to go up, but people are born, and they die, and the cycle goes on, and on, and on, and people throw up their arms, philosophies and religions and say is there any answer to this terrible dilemma of humanity we're all headed towards the grave but there's going to be a man in genesis chapter 5 
who escapes death. And even in a chapter where it's going to say over and over again, and he died, and he died, and he died, there's going to be a man who does not die. And that man will become a symbol of hope of a future time when there will be a generation that does not die. I wonder what the courts of heaven were like the day that Adam died. I don't want to push this too far, but I do see passages in Scripture where God has feelings. And I wonder in the courts of heaven what it was like the day that Adam died. I mean, think about it. This is God's special creation. This is the first one that he made. This is the one he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. This is the one he walked with in the garden in the cool of the day. And now he's dead. I mean, that's a sad moment. And death is uh, no respecter of persons. It, It levels the playing field. It doesn't matter if you're a president, a pastor, an athlete, an actor. We all die. The word for death in Hebrew is moot. It's transliterated into English, M-O-O-T. It's the end. And this is the, the train that mankind is now headed down. Death is now a reality. Now we continue in verse 6. And Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Enosh's name means mortal or frail. You might want to write that down. Enosh means mortal or frail. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So we're, we're getting a 10-generation list. Some people believe there are gaps in these genealogies. Others say there's no reason to believe that there's gaps there. Some believe that the, just the head of the generation is being named. Others believe, no, there was 10 in all, and these 10 are it. If these 10 are it, the chronology of years from creation to the flood is 1,656 years from creation to the flood. There are some who hold that view. There are others who hold. There are gaps in the genealogy, so we don't have the literal years here, and there are others who are arguing uh, even not for literal days in Genesis 1 and 2, which we've been over. But here you have Seth now, and he becomes the father of Enosh. So all the days, verse 8, of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Kenan's name means sorrow. It can also mean dirge or elegy. But Kenan, just right next to his name, sorrow. Then Enosh lived 815 years, and he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And Kenan lived 70 years, and he became the father of Mahalalel. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years. Here it is again, and he died. And Mahalalel, his name means the blessed God, or just write in your Bible, blessed God, lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. So you have uh, Kenan's son uh, Mahalalel from Mahalal, which means bless or praise with the E-L ending, that's the name of God. So the blessed God, or God be praised, that's how the names work. 16. 
Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared, his name means shall come down, write that in your Bible, shall come down, that's Jared, lived 162 years, and he became the father of Enoch. Mahalalel's son was named Jared from the verb yarad, meaning shall come down, as I mentioned. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters, verse 20. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, here it is again, and he died. And Enoch, mark his name, his name means teaching, dedication, or commencement. You might want to just write write teaching slash dedication. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now we're starting to get to some names that you recognize. Here's Enoch born. He's not the same Enoch that was born to Cain from, of whom he named a city for. And Enoch becomes the father of Methuselah. I want you to notice in verse 21, he lives 65 years and then he becomes the father of Methuselah. And then it says, then Enoch walked with God. It would appear, as we park here for a moment, that Enoch lived 65 years without walking with God. Then a child was born, his name Methuselah. He will live the longest life recorded in the Bible. Then he walked with God. I just want to give you an application point. Have you had a turning point in your life or maybe you didn't walk with God for a number of years and something happened in your life to change your course. I can tell you this, when I was about 20, I heard the gospel, I responded to the gospel, but I really mark a turning point in my life at the, at the birth of our firstborn, Shane. Now, most of you know my family and, and our history, but some of you don't. He's the kid that's up here on the piano. And when he was born, my life changed. I was already a Christian, but I got more serious about my walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I realized I had much more responsibility than just about myself. And even, you know, just about my wife. Now it was about a child. And I realized that that child was going to follow my example. He was going to look to me. And I had had enough disappointment in my own past. I had had a father leave me when I was four and call me one time in about 30 years, called me on the phone one time. And I did not want to leave that trail for my children. And so I really planted my flag by God's grace and it wasn't without struggle that I was going to live for Jesus Christ and I was going to set a tone and God's now blessed me with three wonderful sons that are all walking with Jesus Christ. And it's, and it's God's grace. But notice in verse 22 it says, Then Enoch, after he lived 65 years, walked, the, the Hebrew word is yalak, with God, and he walked with God 300 years. How long you been walking with God? Well, I don't think anybody can beat Enoch here, Right? And after he became the father of Methuselah, so this repetition is like after, and he had other sons and daughters. And here's the testimony regarding Enoch. He walked with God. Are you? 
Whenever you read the Bible, you cannot sit as a spectator. I've been telling you that even the Hebrew perspective on the scriptures is you always have to put yourself in the story. Whenever something is being read, you can't sit there as an audience and just say, well, that gee, that's nice. Well, gee, that's interesting. No, you've got to put yourself there. When questions emerge from the text, you have to ask yourself the question, are you walking with God? What was your turning point? Do you need to go back and revisit that? For some of you, the turning point was the death of a loved one. You walked into a memorial service. You were faced with the reality of your own mortality. And even though it's hard to lose a loved one, maybe that's the moment that you decided, you know what, I better figure out what's going to happen after my heart stops beating this side of this planet. Because if there is something beyond this existence, if there is an eternity to inherit and a place called heaven and a place called hell, I better know where I'm going. So few people think about eternity. Yet we say we believe it. Statistics in the U.S. say people still believe in the God of the Bible. Still believe the Bible is God's word. Well then, hello. But the devil has us distracted. And Enoch walked with God. And the question is, and I'm asking myself, am I? Are you? Are you walking with the Lord? The word walk is yalak. It speaks of a path. It means to go, to walk, or to come. It speaks of a way, a way in which you are walking, and to whom you are walking, to or with whom you are walking. I read a testimony from a man recently. He said he was going to church, but living his own way. Is that you? You come to church, but once you leave the doors, you go your own way? A walk is about a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Walk this way. This is the way. Walk in it. This is what every Christian is faced with. Which way am I walking? What's my direction? I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about direction. Amen? None of us are going to be perfect. We all know that. But it is about a direction. And some of you have been on this vicious cycle. You just keep going around and around and around. Same old sins, same old problems, same old struggles. How about you take the off-ramp? <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Look, I, I've been confronted with stuff like this many, many times. And I love to pass it on to other Christians so you can share in my pain. That was a joke. That's not my goal. Which way are you moving? That's what a walk is about. Are you spending time in spirit-to-spirit communication with God? You know, when we hear a walk, we all know it. That's Christian terminology, right? Yeah, how's your walk, man? You walking with the Lord? (laughs) I had a reputation in our previous church. I would ask people how their walk was. And then people started running from me. They didn't want to be asked that question. How's your walk, bro? Now, here he comes. You're going to probably ask me that question, right? But how's your walk? What's the direction looking like these days? So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. This is verse 24, Genesis 5. And here it's repeated. Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. 
What? He was walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, he was gone. God took him. Now, why would God take him? Everybody turn to Hebrews 11. That's in your New Testament. Hebrews 11. Why did God take Enoch? Let me just make an obvious point. If there's no afterlife to inherit, if there's no bliss in heaven, if to be absent from the body is not to be present with the Lord, but we know it is, then there's no reason for a man walking with God to be taken to heaven if all he's got is his earthly existence and he should live as long as possible. Here's my point. Enoch walked with God and God took him because apparently God said, this is about as close as we're going to get in this earthly sphere, so come on up here, Enoch. Well, you just finished the first part of a teaching in Genesis chapter 5, and I uh, must say it's, it's amazing. And seeing the genealogy here of, of Adam to Noah. But my question is, Pastor Michael, that how do we encourage someone who sees a genealogy list and they think, oh my gosh, how boring, so-and-so begat so-and-so and so on, and they lived X amount of years. Um, what is the significance of having this in the Bible, and how can the, the listener apply this to their own lives? Well, Oscar, um, part of what you hit on there is important that uh, pronouncing names and geneal- genealogical lists is difficult. So the old joke is if you just pro- pronounce them with authority, um, <laughs> everybody will believe you because they don't know how to pronounce the names either. <laughs> That's just a joke. You know, one of the thoughts, Oscar, is that genealogical lists, um, you said this before we began recording, do establish rights and authority. So in some cases, there's a right or authority that's being established. So this person's connected to this family line and, for example, gives them the right to the throne or Mm -hmm. gives them a right to land or that kind of thing. So you can see this uh, stream throughout the Bible. But there's something else here, and it's something that we want to talk about by practical application, and it's this, that individual names and stories matter to God. And when you see genealogical lists, you often see a thread of what happens when one person makes a decision either for or against God. Oftentimes, the sons and grandsons grandsons follow suit. Now, it's not always the case. It's not always the case that someone who came from a bad father or whatever follows in his track. But many times it is the case that they imbibe, they begin to follow the ways of the father mm-hmm. and uh, it ripples out. So you can think of genealogical lists as uh, individual stories that God cares about. You can think about the rights and privileges that it, they might make an appeal to. But ultimately, Oscar, there is a thread of a story being told by families. You have a, a son um, you're going to have, hopefully one day, uh, if you don't already, uh, grandchildren, right? A granddaughter. Now. A granddaughter. <laughs> you already have a granddaughter. And, and so I'm at that point too, or, you know, just around the corner, that will be the case as well. And what do you really care about? If I, if I threw this question back at you and said, what do you really care about? What, if, if you were going to say, Oscar Santa Cruz left a legacy and, and it relates specifically to your family. What, what do you want to have happen? To have a relationship with Jesus Christ and acknowledging Him as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.